thinking of as messy faith. And, and really, you know, it seems like a lot of times as we're walking through different things as a church or people in our church, and as I was uh, just kind of thinking about some of, the, some of the topics in the last few weeks, and I was just thinking about some of the, the heavy-duty experiences in people's lives, you know, you, you yourself probably have had experiences where you've thought, God, I, my faith doesn't seem to measure up to what I'm being asked to believe right now. I'm struggling with something, or maybe you needed a healing and it didn't happen, there's a song out there on the radio right now, on the Christian radio, that's talking kind of about that. You know, I needed you, and it, it wasn't quite there. And that's a real question that we need to grapple with from time to time as believers. And if you've never grappled with that, I encourage you to do it before you're in the middle of a struggle. Because if you're in the middle of a struggle, then it's tough. It's tough to work your way through that and to crawl through and to climb back into a place where you trust. But and I'm just thinking about this prayer list, and I'm looking down through it, and even as, even as I was with uh, Deb Heishman in her room today, the, her son-in-law was standing there and then his father, and as we were talking about it, and the son-in-law was saying, you know, and if this condition comes back, the doctors say there's only about a 50-50% chance that, that it won't destroy this kidney. And I'm just standing there, and I thought, surely they knew the odds before they went through all this. I mean, Deb's laying there with one less kidney today, gave it to her daughter, and then they were going on about her being super mom and you know, thankful and all that. And she's saying, what? Of course, I'm going to do it. It's my, my mom. And I'm just thinking, God, I need you to come through in this. And this is not me. I'm just standing there. I'm just, I'm not even part of the deal, you know. Five minutes later, I was on the other side of the curtain and out the door and down the hall and just thinking, God, you heard that, right? I'm walking down the hall and thinking, God, not even, I don't even know the spiritual condition really for sure of the son and daughter. And, you know, you find yourself in those positions where you're trying to talk God into doing what you know he needs to do to convince people of faith. Sometimes we start to measure faith like that and we start to think, if I was God, I would do it like this. And I would heal like this. And it, and it gets to be where messy is is not even a good description because faith gets messy. And then we start to judge, you know, this and that and wonder about that. And I, I've still been thinking, it's been a couple weeks ago that we were talking about some of the, some of the people in Jesus' lineage. It was near that Christmas time. And we're talking about one of those people we talked about was Rahab. Do you remember that? And we talked about how there was a couple people in that lineage who were pretty honorable and a couple people who were not. And I haven't been able to get that off my mind. And then as in my my daily Bible reading, I came across in the book of James to this passage. So read it with me. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. The beginning of this section of scripture, James is talking about Abraham and he's saying that Abraham was justified by his works. And the, the author here, James, the brother of Jesus, goes into this whole detail of what it means to have faith. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, wow, Rahab is not only listed in the heroes of faith in the book of Hebrews, but here she is again. And James is using her and says that she is an example of great faith. And you can see her faith by her works. I'm thinking, I don't know if I understand faith at all. I mean, some stories in the Bible seem to fit, don't they? I mean, Daniel in the lion's den, I see faith there. And I look at that and I think, 
I want to be like that. And then I see this story, and I'm thinking, ah, it doesn't fit the way I would think. And we admire David and Goliath, and we think, but she was lying right there, right? Are we saying God honored her for her lie? I mean, what are we saying? It starts to get messy, doesn't it? Because it doesn't always add up to the way we add up faith sometimes. And I think about some of the, the things that, you know, if you know the story of Rahab, I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, and it's probably familiar to you, but she, she was a prostitute there, and then the spies went and hid out in her house, probably a good place to hide because there probably was strange men going in and out a lot. So they thought they maybe could duck in there and be undetected, but we know from the story they weren't undetected. That eventually somebody came and knocked on the door and said, hey, who are those two guys that were here? We want to see them. And then she lies. She hid them. She hid them on the roof underneath some, some flax, you know, which, which could have been you know, plants. It could have been in the process of turning it into, into fabric or something. But she hid them. And then she sent them on the other way. And then, as you know the story, she ends up being in the lineage of Jesus himself. The great, great grandmother of King David. And she's an example of living faith. I mentioned she was a prostitute and a liar, right? (laughs) Here's what I believe. I believe that real faith is always mixed up with very human imperfections. I hesitated writing always because I thought, wouldn't it be more fair or more true to say sometimes? Because I want to leave room in there for you perfect people. And then I thought, well, hopefully they won't be offended because if they're perfect, they would sit there and not be offended because they're the perfect ones. Because for the rest of us, we walk around with very human imperfections. And we strive for that kind of faith that, that flies above every human emotion and flies above every problem. And we strive for that, but very, very seldom reach that pinnacle on a daily basis. But we feel really, really comfortable judging everybody else along the way because it just makes us feel a little bit better if we can look at somebody else and say, I'm at least better than them. But faith is messy sometimes. And I think if we were honest and we looked at a mirror into our heart and life, we would see that most of us are muddling through the best we can and we're striving to live in faith and believe from day to day, from struggle to struggle, From problem to problem, we want to overcome. And I really wonder how many of us sitting out here are that model of perfection. We know Rahab was far from perfect. We know that. But God honored her in the place of faith with an honorable mention twice. Two times in the Bible, she gets mentioned. And both times, she's honored for her faith. Both times. It's crazy, isn't it? messy faith. And I believe it shows us at least, oops, don't read that yet. I believe it at least shows us this, that faith can be found in some very, very, very unlikely places sometimes. Some places where you wouldn't normally expect it. And for Rahab, I want to get just a little detail about her, because for her, it was even more unexpected than you might think. I mean, we know the prostitute part. We got that. But there's more going against her than that. Because in this time period, the only people who were considered worthy of of faith or worthy to be included were Jews. Everybody else was an outsider. She was a a, a Gentile. She didn't have 
the background of knowing about all the history of the Jews. She wouldn't have known all the, all the, the sons of Jacob, and she wouldn't have been able to quote all them, and she didn't know about the Torah, and she didn't know about the law being given, and she wouldn't have known any of that. She wasn't part of that. She was, she was a Gentile. She wouldn't have been part of the covenant with God. She would have been a foreigner to the grace of God, which was expended, extended to the Jews. And sadly, the Jews were supposed to be extending that grace to everybody, but even then, they weren't really doing that. That's not what was happening. And as they were approaching to, to actually invade the city of Jericho and tear on those walls and, and take that place over, she wouldn't have been included in that. She had no connection to any of that. The second thing she had going against her was she was a woman. And in our day and age, that might sound offensive, but in their day and age, it would have been far worse than you could ever imagine. She would have had no legal standing. And we can criticize her day and long, all day long for her choice of profession. But the fact is, there weren't a lot of professions open to women. And we don't know what her situation was. We don't know if there wasn't a husband to provide But all we know is that that she did make a deal with the spies to preserve her family. But outside of a few other professions, there wasn't much open to her. And in the world that they lived in, her word didn't count for much. The fact is that even in the legal system at that time, just like in Islam today, it would have been three, three women witnesses would have equaled one man witness. That's just how it was. Third thing is she was actually a pagan, no doubt raised in idol worship for the, of the Canaanites. She wouldn't have any knowledge of the rules and the, the Ten Commandments or any of those things that, that roll right off of our tongue. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because here's a woman who's guilty of what we consider repeated sin. You wouldn't think she was candidate for that. But here's what I didn't want you to look at a minute ago. Not every church member is as righteous as they appear on Sunday morning either. It's funny, Shirley and I were just talking about that. (laughs) You know, I remember uh, years ago when I was young and and a youth pastor and you, you know, you know how it was when you're younger and so naive. We're not naive now, right? We're mature and wise. But I remember one time just being so caught off guard by some of my students who, who were, they had was actually on a Mexico trip, and, and I got the report that some guys had sneaked away from camp and bought some beer, and, and um, I'm like, the first thought was, not them, no way. Now, one of them I could have expected, but the other three, no way. I mean, I was crushed. It really hurt my feelings, because <laughs> I thought I knew them, and I thought that they were different than that, and so, you know... It's funny, it's only funny because one of them is in the ministry today because of what I said when I walked up. And if you would have told me that at the moment, in fact, when he told me this, I, I didn't even remember what I said. But I, I walked, I, I went over, they thought they were so sneaky, you know how we're so stupid. But anyway, I just walked into their tent that they're in and sat down with them and they're hiding everything, you know. What are you doing, guys, you know? And I, I, I evidently I said something to this effect that, I really thought I knew you guys. Thought you had a different relationship with God than evidently you do. And if this is what, with what you want for your lives, why don't we just get in a van? I'll drive you home. It was a five-hour drive, but it would have been worth driving them home then for five hours. I could have driven back five hours. Nobody would have been the wiser. 
And uh, it's funny because one of them, the, the one who's in the ministry today, he was telling me a few years ago, he just said, he goes, when you said that I had no idea that you believed in me and thought that much of me. And we, we, we talked a long time that night, those three or four guys and I, we stayed up for the next three hours talking about faith and what their lives were going to amount to and on and on and on. But it's funny, you know, you don't always know. And we dress up, you know, we call it the Sunday best. And, and um, the fact is, none of us are that righteous. And really, this goes right along with it. Not every sinner is as far from the kingdom as we might assume. Isn't it funny how we grade different sins? And obviously, sins have a difference. And, you know, we always, you hear people talk about, you know, all sins are the same. And they're the same in the sense that they separate you from God. But certainly, different sins have different effects. And they leave different scars. And they affect more or less people. I mean, there's, there's truth to that. But there's something about it, how we measure it. It's not very accurate either. I think we can learn something else from this story, and that is that the Holy Spirit is always working on the human heart. We, we don't do that, do we? I mean, you, you might put some effort into somebody, and you might know somebody who you're trying to convince or, or share Christ with, or it's a friend of yours, and you're trying to help them along. But for the most part, we don't think like that all that often. And thank God he's God. And not us. Because he never stops working. The thing about it is, is, is one of the old theologians called, it, called God the hound of heaven. Because he never stops hounding the human heart. And he goes about it in every way possible. And he sends person after person and situation after situation. And I know this is arguing from the negative. But you have no idea how many times God has saved you from yourself. And you just didn't know. There's been times where, you know, we've, we've rolled up on an accident and, and that particular day we forgot the keys and ran back in the house. And had we been on the road, the time we would have been, we could have just as well been in that intersection. That's happened. And I'm not saying this is scripture necessarily, but I guarantee you the Holy Spirit has protected you and guarded your heart from situations you have no idea of. And given you the strength to withstand temptation in situations where at other times you were weak and you were protected from those situations. That's why when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray and he gave them the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And one of those parts in there Jesus said to pray is, help me, protect me from temptation. We're supposed to pray that. And the Holy Spirit does it. And I guarantee you the Holy Spirit was working on Rahab's heart and she had no idea. None. She did not know, but God was already preparing her heart for the knock on the door and these two spies and to, to prepare the way of the Lord. I promise you that. And he's doing the same for you. Yes, Larry. You know what's interesting about, we're going to go jump back into the book of uh, <clears throat> Joshua and see at least some of the things that I believe God spoke to her about that. It's a good question, Larry. We're going to look at that in a second here. I believe this, that God is constantly working on the human heart. And there are people who you've been praying for. And as much as you love them and want to see them come to Christ, God loves them more and wants to see them changed more. And he's working on them. 
more, 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 more. And he has people everywhere working on his behalf, and we have no idea. And a lot of times they have no idea. And it's a kind word here, or a kind word there, or answer to a question here, or a dollar here, or looking for an opportunity to serve, or helping somebody, or someone bought my breakfast rolling through McDonald's the other day. <laughs> Why did they do that? I didn't even know who that was, and I didn't know them. And it was one of those things where I'm looking at that car, and I'm thinking, I have no idea who that is. Why did they do that? And then God said, well, maybe because you need to do that for the guy behind you. And, and I got to thinking, well, what if his is like way more than what mine was? <laughs> just <laughs> totally kidding. It did cross my mind just because I'm a dork. But, <clears throat> but I did do that. And then, as, and then I'm trying to drive away before they could see who I was because I didn't know who they were either. And I'm just saying, God does things. You know what else I wonder? Were they, are there sinners worse than Rahab? Isn't it funny how we judge sin? Because I was, I was pondering that a lot this afternoon and just thinking, I, I think about drug dealers and abusers of children and women and, uh, man, is there any sin God wouldn't heal? Because God saves people who you may not save, doesn't he? And he forgives people you may not forgive. Pastor Newby used this phrase a few years ago, and it stuck with me because I know people like this. I pray myself I'm not like this, but he, he called people grudge collectors, grievance collectors. You know, if somebody like that, they just can't let it go. They hold on to it and hold on to it. And I know people that there are certain sins that they, I've heard it out of people's mouths where they said, I would never forgive that. And even when I hear it said, I think, oh God, I'm glad I'm not God, and I'm glad they're not God. <laughs> Because God's grace has no limits, none, none. And if you learn nothing else from this story tonight, learn that. My grace has limits. I have limits to my grace. He does not. He does not. He'll save the most notorious sinner and change him miraculously. I was at a, I was at a, a, a meeting years ago in Southern California. We are at the campground, and I was representing youth ministries, and then the director of Teen Challenge was there. Direct, every director was there. And we're sitting at a table and we're doing this small group thing and it came out of the blue and I don't remember even the context of the discussion, but the, the director was talking about how we were ordaining at district council this guy who had come through the program of, of uh, Teen Challenge who had actually murdered his wife. He'd done time in prison, he'd come out and he'd been, and he was talking about how God had totally changed this man. And I remember sitting there thinking, that's awesome. God does that. Then the next thought I had is, wonder what churches would hire him. Probably a church that ministers to people like him, which is a good place for him to be, but there's some churches that wouldn't even look at him. God's grace has no limits. I saw this quote by Philip Yancey in his book. He wrote a book called uh, What's So Amazing About Grace. He says, if you would say there is grace even for people like Rahab, then we have unconsciously put ourselves in a different category than her. Let that sink in. I believe this story also shows us that faith shows itself in very unusual ways. And as we look at the life of Rahab, and this gets to your question, Larry, right in, in Joshua chapter 2, we look at this, and, and if you know the story of Joshua and what happened, the children of Israel, how long did they wander in the, in the wilderness? 40 years. Why 40 years? You remember? 
so a generation would die because they didn't believe that God would provide to them the, the, the promised land. And so Joshua and Caleb were the two spies originally, or one of the 12 spies, that, or two of the 12 spies that originally went in to spy out the land. They came back with a good report. Yes, we can do it. We believe in God. And then 10 of them said, oh, they're like giants and we look like grasshoppers. We'll never, never be able to do it. So God sent them back into the wilderness. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones from that generation to live to see this day. So think about what that means. Everyone else, every one of the other Jews, they'd never lived in a city. You ever think about that? They were nomads that lived in tents for 40 years. Their entire worldview and life experience would have been like that. So when they come up to the city of, of, of Jericho, you know, they talk about this, this wall being huge, super wide and two layers and on and on and on. The Jews had never seen something like that. And they come up to there and they, they like I said, they hide out in Rahab's house. And I believe that something happened, must have happened in Rahab's heart. I believe the Holy Spirit had to be speaking to her. I don't think that all that was in, encompassed in what she did was, I do not believe that all it was was crass self-preservation. Don't believe that. Here's why. She's called a, a hero of faith in two portions of scripture, in both James and Hebrews. And if God credits her as faith and what she did as faith, I think we can look at what some of the things she said and see the faith that was maybe, maybe it was just budding. Maybe it was brand new. Maybe she was saying what she didn't even know. You know how sometimes out of the mouth of babes and they'll say something? Can't tell you how many times, you know, a youth would say, Pastor Dennis, have we prayed yet? Oh, man. Yeah, we, <laughs> we need to pray. So as we look at this, I believe that Rahab spoke in faith specifically in these ways. In Joshua 2.9, she says to the spies, I know the Lord has given you this land. She spoke what all the Israelites before didn't believe. She believed it. Forty years ago, the ten of the spies didn't believe this, but she believed it. She said, I know the Lord has given you this land. I believe that was a declaration of faith, maybe from obviously not a baby Hebrew believer, but she believed that that had happened. I believe also that she, her second declaration here, she said that we are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. She knew what God was doing in and through the, pe- the children of Israel at that time. And because of that, there was a terror that was sweeping through the land. She was well, well aware of it. And then she does something that the Israelites did often and should have done a lot more and we need to do. She recounts the miracles that God had done. Here's what she says. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og and the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. I believe what was happening in her is God was building faith in her and kind of giving us a pattern for faith that we need to employ. We need to, we need to remember what God has done. We need to speak in faith that, that we know that God will walk us through things, that God has given us land. Our words, a lot of times, shape our understandings of things and how, our attitudes toward things. The next thing she does is she declares the sovereignty of Israel's God. Yes, she was probably raised a pagan, no question about it. But at this point, she declares the sovereignty of God. She says, the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. <clears throat> That rolls off our tongues as modern American Christians so easy. But for her to say that meant that our, their God, the Jewish God, was the God over all other gods. Because all their other gods were gods 
gods of the heavens, gods of, of, of the earth, gods of water, gods of sea. I mean, gods of all these things. That one statement is her saying, your God is God of everything. I believe what this was, was a declaration of her faith and talking about it. And then I think it's important to look at this. Not all works are religious in nature. James says that faith without works is dead. I think it's easy for us to categorize the works of faith as real Christian-y religious things. And it's not like those are bad things, and certainly those are works of faith. I mean, reading your Bible and prayer and going to church and, and uh, all of that, giving, all of that's important. But Rahab's example shows us other things that are works of faith, kindness and generosity and hospitality and giving. <clears throat> We don't have anywhere recorded in the entirety of Scripture a prayer of Rahab. Nothing. No miracles attested to her. But she's considered a hero of faith. But her, her being a hero of faith, it's because of what she did. I want us to look at her non-religious acts. Here's what she did. She heard the truth about God. She believed it. She testified to it. And then that faith led her to act. That's a good model. That's a model that we all could learn from right there. Because <clears throat> you know the truths about God. When you believe it in your heart, you're going to talk about it, and then you're going to act on it. That changes everything. And that applies to everything you do in your life. Everything you do, as soon as you wake up in the morning, as soon as you walk out, it means that you recognize who God is, God is and you act on it. Here's, here's some things I think about. You know, we can debate the morality of her lying and all of that, and I think that's good to do. I mean, I really do. 3,500 years after the event, good to do. But I'll tell you this. She took a stand for God, and then she, she provided protection for her people and for her own family, and she risked everything to do it. That is active, live faith. That's her stepping out in faith in a way that she believed God like most of the Jews up until that point had not believed. She knew about the, the, here's something else I think is interesting. She's not the only one. She said everybody was in fear, but she's the only one who acted on it and her people, right? She knew the God of the Israelites and she knew what God was doing with them, but she's the only one who acted on it. The rest of the people in Jericho didn't act on it, at least not that way. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of another scripture in the book of James where it talks about, I mean, this, you say you have faith and you believe that there's one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. What James is trying to say is believing's fine. It's good. It's a step in the right direction, but that's not action. You need to actually act on what you believe. You need to act on that faith. Here's something else to think about with this story. Faith receives an unexpected reward. I believe that she was justified not, not expecting a reward. What she did, she didn't know that she was going to you know, have the have the reward that she was going to have. And the Bible says in James that she was justified by her works. Her faith led to the right works. She Not only that, she was spared. Her family was spared. She became part of the nation of Israel, and then she was included in the line of Christ. She did that because she did the right thing, not knowing the outcome. Because there's a lot of times in our lives where we, we, we want it all added up. We want to measure, okay, I'm willing to go this far as long as I get this kind of return. But God's asking for more of us than that. He's asking us to believe who he is, to stand in faith, talk about it, and then act on it. That's a big difference, total big difference there. 
<clears throat> I think about this too. Not only that, but she was added into the lineage of Christ. Here's the scripture in Matthew that mentions her. It says, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. There's Rahab. And then Boaz fathered Obed by, Jew, by Ruth. And then Obed fathered Jesse. And then Jesse fathered King David. There's a legend. They call it a legend in, uh, in Jewish history that, that Salmon was actually one of the two spies. <laughs> and that's how they ended up getting together there. Don't know about that. All I know is that she was honored as a woman of faith. And she's listed alongside Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all the other heroes of the faith. You know what I wonder in the scripture too? Why, a- why Abraham and Rahab? In this portion of, in James, you have Abraham and Rahab. Why those two? I think it's contrast. I think the writer there is trying to show us the contrast. Because all of us want to live like a- Abraham, but we're not all Abraham. We're somewhere in between those two, and God loves us all. I mean, he's got there a man and a woman. You've got there a Jew and a Gentile. You've got there the revered patriarch and the redeemed prostitute. We all fit somewhere, somewhere inside those. One who was ready to sacrifice his son, and the other one hid the spies. The thing about it is both of them lived their life of faith right out in the open. They did it. They took that step of faith and lived it right in front of everybody. Here's something else. You'll never know when that test comes. You just won't know. Rahab did not wake up that morning thinking, hey, if I let these guys hide in my house, I might get to be King David's great-great-grandma. Nobody thinks like that. You never know. You've got to always be on. You've got to always be ready to act in faith. Similarly, Abraham, when, he was, when God told him to sacrifice his son, he was the son of promise. A lot of people speculate. In fact, the Jews, they do a lot of speculating on this because how in the world would Abraham sacrifice his son? That was totally forbidden. Why would he even think about it? So they have all these ideas about what he was thinking that either, either God would stop his hand or God would raise the boy from the dead or all these things. I guarantee you he never thought that there would be a ram stuck in a thicket just a minute away. No one would ever think that. It was about him being faithful to the end. You just don't know. Living by faith is a risky business, but the bottom line is faith takes action. It takes action. Let me ask you this question. Do you think God knew her past? Yeah, of course he did. Do you think God knows your past? Yes. <laughs> Do you think he knows the past of those around you? <laughs> I love this. The idea is we're supposed to trust him, we're supposed to take action, and then leave the results to him. The bottom line is nobody is beyond the reach of God's grace, nobody, nobody at all. I saw these quotes, I just have to share them with you. Only unworthy people go to heaven. You ever think about that? Only unworthy people go to heaven. When I first read that, I, I, I skipped right over it, I didn't get it. <laughs> I keep reading it over, oh, I see what they did there. Here's another one. If you wonder why there's so many messed up people in the Bible, it's because that's all God had to work with. <laughs> the only perfect people are already in heaven. I want you to shut your eyes with me for a minute. I don't know what part of this was for you, but I know, I know what parts of this are for me. For me, what struck me the most about, about this particular sermon and what I need to deep, put deep in my heart is the fact that there's times where I feel completely unworthy, but God uses unworthy people all the time. 
And what he's asking from us is to believe who he is, who he said he is, who you know he is. To believe that, then for you to proclaim it, and then for you to act on it. And for you, acting on it could could look like a lot of things. could look like a lot of things. It may mean you going and being a missionary in another country. It may mean you buy somebody's lunch right next to you. It might mean you talk to somebody about faith who you've been afraid to talk to. It might mean that God is asking you to volunteer in a ministry and you've thought that you were never qualified or that they probably wouldn't want you or need you. It could be a lot of those things. But the bottom line is, I believe God is calling you and he will use you for something. I'm going to pray over you and I want to invite you to, you're welcome to stay here and pray as long as you want. David Kelly will put some music on for us and and I just want to invite you to spend some time with God and ask him what he's saying to you tonight. Father, we give ourselves to you. We know that we're no better than, than, than Rahab and no better than Abraham. We're right there with them. God, I'm thankful that you give us examples like this and that you, you show us what you want from us. God, I pray that you would use everyone in this room for something. That you would use us to speak to our kids or use us to speak to our coworkers or God, that you would use us to meet the needs of somebody. God, whatever it is that you're calling us to, that you would work deep in our hearts, I pray, in the name of Jesus. God, that you would do that. God, we thank you for your grace. I thank you that none of us are beyond your grace. None of us are better than your grace. God, I thank you for that. I give you praise for these things. And speak to us tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you tonight.